Lord, wreck us. Wreck us of our feeble faith. Wreck us of this like self-dependence that we have. Wreck us of our moralistic um, lifestyles. Just wreck us with the reality that there is not a single inch of this universe by which you don't claim mine. If we would just live that, then, then everything else that was so beautifully prayed for today would find its yes and amen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes as your kingdom people to see kingdom need and step into those moments. We are here today to be transformed into the beautiful image of your Son. Lord, may that happen here in this place, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man, uh, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I come here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Luke ten twenty-five through 37 This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Thank you very much, Keegan. As you are um, finding your seat and finding your Bible, I want to share some statistics with you. These statistics are actually, they're not from a Christian organization, they're actually from Harvard University, and it's from a survey that they did just last year. So here's what they found out. They did a study, and they found out that 36% of all Americans right now said that they feel serious loneliness. So over a third of the people that you interact with in, in our country every day have a sense of serious loneliness. Now, now here's part of what we have to understand about studies like this. That's a negative thing. That's a negative like response. And most of the time when surveys are done, people will want to give a positive answer. So the fact that a third of the people were willing to say, yeah, I'm struggling, probably means it was a lot more than a third of the people. Another thing that was interesting is, as other studies have been done around the globe along these lines, um, especially recently, the United States is only, like, it's 
it's, it's not even near the top of the list of westernized countries. Like, as, as bad as a third of the people in our country saying I'm very lonely is, we're better off than most of the countries in, in the West, um, which ought to tell us a little something about our lifestyle. But almost all of the countries that were at the top of the list were westernized countries. They were countries that have moved away from the gospel, basically. So in that, it, it gets worse in that group, 61% of young adults said they felt lonely. So almost two-thirds of the young adults in our nation feel extreme loneliness. 51% of all moms that have young children feel lonely. Now get this, 43% of the young adults reported increased loneliness since the pandemic, which makes sense, right, because isolation and and uh, is what part of what the enemy used that for. This is what broke my heart and how it, and it applies to what we're going to be talking about today. 55%, so more than half of the young adults who said that they were suffering from serious loneliness, said that they had, um, that only half of them had a person who actually came to them and, and took more than a few seconds to see how they were doing. So they, so they basically, not only are they struggling with loneliness, they're, they're feeling like there is nobody out there that actually cares about them. Even the ones that might say, hey, how you doing today, don't really want to know, is what they're saying. 63% of this age group say that they're suffering with serious symptoms of anxiety. Okay, now some of that, how that, suffer, how that suffering symptoms of anxiety looks is things like substance abuse and binge watching and all kinds of other addictions that are going on in our nation, um, increased anger, which we're seeing and we're praying for today. All of that is a symptom of something, and it's because we are made to be in relationship. And more now than ever, guys, here's what's so odd. Like, here, think, think about this. In the, in the era that we are more connected than we've ever been, right? The World Wide Web and smartphones and everything else. Loneliness is higher now than it has ever been. How is that possible? It's because we have exchanged real, genuine relationship with God and one another with some false version of it that doesn't really satisfy your soul. Guys, you can be in a crowded, a crowded room of people. There are people sitting here today in a room full of people, and they feel lonely. Now, some of that's because we're not interacting well, but some of that's because we have forgotten how to interact. We genuinely, like, like the lonely, even the lonely, it's not just on us to step into the lives of those lonely people. Even the people that are lonely, they don't know how to deal with it anymore. They, they do not understand, they don't know how to step into real relationships. Right? There, I, I, saw, I saw some other statistics. I was doing research for this, and they were saying that, that there are, like, the number of people who are saying they have no close relationships, especially men, is higher than it's ever been. Right? And, and that wreaks havoc and does damage on our souls. It just, it, it can't not. Why? Because we were created to be in relationships. So take a look at your first talking points question. It's on the back of your handout that was in your bulletin. And I asked this question last week. It says, which of the following are you best at? Which do you have the most room to improve in? 
And this was from week one's homework in our God Space study, which is the book that was out in the lobby. I think we had 75 copies out there. Praise the Lord, I think they're almost all gone. If you didn't get one and you want to get one, you just need to go online and buy them like I did. So, um, but um, I, I'm just so I'm genuinely excited that that many people are actually taking the book and reading it. If you took a book and you're not reading it, bring it back so somebody else can take it. Um, but hopefully you're reading it. But here are the things that, that the book is going to talk about in our weekly D-group studies. Noticing others, serving others, listening to others, asking others, telling others. How might each of these be used to expand the kingdom? I asked that question last week. This week we're talking specifically about noticing because chapter 3, which is the, which is the chapter in the book you're going to read this week, and it goes along with the passage we're going to look at today, is talking about how do we notice others. So my question to you right now is just, just for that one. How might no, getting better at noticing others help us be about kingdom work? I'm asking. Less selfish. Less selfish. So noticing others, by definition, gets our eyes off of us and onto other people. Good. How might noticing others help us... Spread the gospel more. Opens the door to conversation. We see the unseen. Guys, every, every human heart has a longing to be seen. Every one of us. Now, some of that longingness can, can be, like, to be seen can be selfish and can show itself in sort of... Um, selfish ways look at me look at me look at me like social media feeds that but unfortunately it feeds that selfishness in a very unhealthy way so people feel like they're getting noticed but they're not really being seen when i say people have a desire to be seen what i really what, what i mean by that is they really want someone to know about them now i get that there's also a big part of me and a big part of you that doesn't want people to know the deepest, darkest secrets of our soul. Right? And, that, and, and that is a symptom of the same problem. And the problem is we don't really understand what we talked about last week, stepping into the grace of God. So how does noticing help us? Well, it helps us by, um, it help, how does it help us be disciple makers? It helps us see people's brokenness. It helps people, it, it, like if we're just looking around going, as was prayed today, um, as, the, as the chapter's going to talk about, give us your, God, give us your eyes to see people the way you saw, the way you see them, right? So the homework from this last week, week two of the study, was designed to help you practice that. So I'm just going to read this. This is from the packet that went along with the study. So this is the homework from last week to get ready for this week. So to get ready for week three noticing, that's today, read Matthew 9, 35 through 38. That was the passage that was read and prayed over during our prayer time. That seeing the people, it says Jesus, that his heart was broken for them. He felt pity on them. He had compassion on them because they were dispirited and distressed like sheep without a shepherd. So he said, so you're supposed to read that passage, and then you're supposed to go to a public place, could be a mall, could be your kid's swim meet, could be a lot of different places, and watch people with the Savior's eyes. And then pray that the Spirit would help you see the broken and stop saying, how can they be that way? And instead, train your heart to go, of course they're that way. 
Of course my unsafe family is behaving that way. Of course those people on television that are rioting are behaving that way. Of course whatever, because they don't know any different. They are just doing what the world does. Now, as Christians, we not only need to be, as again was prayed, examples, but we need to be sure that we're, as Jeff challenged us, prayed up, read up, like, like living the lifestyle that Christ wants us to live. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. To show you the last thing about, like, about just to sort of help you see your need in noticing, I'm going to show you, so I'm going to have the lights come down. Um, I'm going to show you a one-minute video, and I want you to just watch the video and do what he tells you to do. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go! The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Do you get the point? Right? Do you, do you get the point? Like what we fixate on, we, I talk about this a lot, what we fixate on, we migrate toward. What we fixate on, we notice. Right? So, so when, we're go, when we're out and about and do it and living our life, we're counting the number of passes from the white team. Like I'm just, I, I am like, okay, I've got 30 minutes, I've got to get to this store and this store, and, 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 and I am mission focused. The problem is it's my mission, not the mission. If I would walk into those same exact opportunities, change nothing about my day other than what, what I'm praying God would help me notice, the moonwalking bear, instead of the white team's passes. All of a sudden, I'm seeing what I'm doing in a different light. It's, it was the same video, right? It's just, it's just, that's how powerful, like, Praying, just praying, hey, Lord, focus my mind, focus my attention, focus my heart on what you would have me see. Not on my agenda, but on your agenda. That makes all the difference if we're really going to be about the business of noticing people. So with that, if you turn to the front of your page, what are, we, what are we talking about today? Well, if you haven't figured it out, so last, the first week we talked about making room for God, and we looked at Matthew 9, that passage that has been spoken already a couple times. Last week we talked about stepping into grace, and we talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and how for us to step into those moments with other people in grace, we need to have embraced that grace ourselves. And today what we're talking about is taking notice. Like I said, all people want to be seen. All people want to be noticed. We need to get better at stepping into those moments and noticing them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So the question I'm asking today is, what does it take to take notice? What does it take to take notice? And we're going to be looking at um, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to see that we are built for relationship, which means that we need to have a eyes to see and a heart to help step into his gospel story. We need to step into his gospel story and we need other people, we need to help other people step into his gospel story. So with that, if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 
And we're going to pick it up in our first point. Let me see if I can find Luke chapter 10 in my Bible. And we're going to, what does it take, what does it really take for us to fully, like, to, to, to get better at noticing people? The first thing we're going to see is that we need to, we need to re- realize, recognize that we're built for relationship. So look at the scene that Keegan read for us. In verse 25 of chapter 10 of Luke, it says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, that's Jesus, the him there is Jesus, to the test saying, teacher, how shall I, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, guys, I have to stop right there. So whether it's that passage or the passage that John read for our calling passage, and that's one of the daily readings this week as well, I mean, wouldn't you just love to have that softball just once? Like, as, as you're out on mission, just have somebody come to you and go, hey, um, Chris, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? You're like, how many people have ever asked you that? Right? And so, so Jesus gets a couple of different times, here and the time that he gets this softball. And you got to believe that the disciples are, oh yeah, he's going to bring it this time. He's going to share the good news about him. And instead he starts asking questions. Guys, we should learn from that. Right? One of, the, one of those things that, that was listed about what are you good at, one, uh, like two of the chapters towards the end of the book that we're going to be looking at is just about how do we get better at asking questions. Why? Because Jesus goes, he defaults to question asking. He doesn't default to proclaiming the truth. Why? Because he knows this lawyer isn't ready to receive it. Right? He, has to, he has to see where this lawyer is at spiritually. Is he really interested in my answer or is he just trying to trap me? Right? Before he jumps into, well, let me just tell you what you need to believe. And we have to get better at that. Like, we have to get better at asking good questions to discern where people are. So here's what he says. So here's the, here's the lawyer's answer. Being a good lawyer, he answers correctly with the law. He says, he said to him, what is, written in, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This is what's often called the great commandment. Right? It's in Matthew 22 as well. And he says, and then he goes on, he said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Guys, do you see how his initial question wasn't really a question? He had an agenda with Jesus and he wanted to press it. Now, my question for me and for you is, how often do we do that? How often do we come to Christ with a question that we don't really want his answer to? Right? We want him to answer our way because we've already got the answer figured out. We're just coming to him because we want to feel better about ourselves. Right? So one, he's like, so, so there he says, but he, trying, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's trying to take scripture the way he wants it to apply. Guys, we're seeing this. I mean, this is all over our country right now. This is all over the church right now. This is how, like, he wants to fine-tune the theology. He wants to, he wants to get lost in the minutia of the argument because he doesn't want to have a conversation about his need for Jesus. 
And that's what's happening in, in our world all over the place. And, and sometimes, frankly, it happens in our lives as well. I want to show you an example of how, what, of, of how this looks. Turn to the right of where we are. We're going to come back to Luke, obviously. But turn to the right of where we are to 1 John. 1 John is one of the last letters in your New Testament. It's, it's, all, it's pretty much right before you get to Revelation. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, the short letter of Jude, and then Revelation. So turn to 1st John and chapter 4. And we're going to come back to 1st John in a little bit, off and on, so mark it somewhere when we go back to Luke, because um, that way you can find it easier or faster next time. Look at 1st John 4 and look at verse 20. So here's this lawyer who's arguing, well, yeah, but, but who's really my neighbor? Right? And he says, John, the Apostle John says, if anyone says I love God, like this lawyer would have said, like many Christians say, and hates his neighbor, like many Christians do, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother, whom he, is, whom he cannot, um, for, I'm sorry, he does not love his brother, whom he has seen. Let me, let me say that again, sorry. For he who does not love his brother whom he, whom he has seen cannot love God who he hasn't seen. Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now guys, we can turn that into, okay, so this is about Christian love, like within the body of Christ. And it certainly can be. But it's not just that. How do we know that? Because the word brother there doesn't mean like brother and sister, like the family of God. It's, it's no different than in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 34 and, or 33 and 34, he says, You've heard it said, love your brother, but hate... I'm sorry, love your neighbor, i.e. same word as brother but hate your enemy. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, remember this is the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount, he's completely flipping common, our thinking to kingdom thinking. And he says, so you've heard it said, love your, love your brother, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Like, that's radically different. To say that somehow bro, the, uh, my brother, that I'm, the only brother I'm supposed to love is the one who looks like me, acts like me, goes to my church. But this is what's happened in our culture. We have all camped up, right? We all want to know who our people are. We all want to know who our tribe is. And those are the only people we're going to hang out with because they're frankly the ones that don't frustrate us that much. But that's not the gospel, Jesus is saying, no, actually, you're supposed to go to those people who hate you. And you're supposed to love them. Like, why? So that you can be called sons of your Father in heaven. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 9, I think it is, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who make peace, because they'll be called sons of God. Guys, here's what that means. It means when we are loving our enemy, when we are peacemakers in a world that is, that is increasingly in conflict, we are about the family's business. That's what he means by sons of God, sons of the Father. He's saying you will be about your Father's business when you are bringing peace, when you are demonstrating love to a world that is full of conflict. So, Look at your second talking points question. 
says the kingdom vision focus of cross Train Church combines the great commandment and the great commission. So the great commandment, love God, love people, and the great commission is go and make disciples. So it's love God, love people, make disciples, plant churches. That's our vision. That's the vision of, of the church you're sitting in right now, right? Here's the question. Or here's the, why, are, why is that our vision? One, it's because these are relationship-driven things. So what are some ways you could get better at building relationships for greater kingdom impact? Like, what, like, like right now, like share, like we need to share with one another. What are some ways, if the, if the great commandment is love God, love people, the great commission is go and make disciples and plant churches, how can, and, and all of that is relationally driven, then we have got to get better at building relationships. So how do we do that? Prayer. Okay, so start praying. God, bring me some people that I can interact. Like, let my path cross your path. Give me a heart to see them. All those, what else? Okay, listen in love instead of talking and being judgmental. Right, ask questions. See, like, like, like look, remember we, we, the, on that card, one of the cards you got a couple weeks ago? Ask questions. Admire something about what they're saying. Hey, I appreciate your passion for this. I, but, and then admit your own need for Jesus. Like, I struggle with that thing too. That's why I praise God that Jesus has changed my life. Good. So, what else? Get out of your own space. Get out of your own space. What do you mean by that? Like, I'm in my home. I have to get out there. Okay. Like, physically. Good. Yeah, obviously, you can't hear. So, so, Teresa's saying, get out of your own space. Like, actually, out of your own house. Right? How much interacting? Are you, guys, get this. Like, like being on Instagram and being on Facebook and being, that is not really interacting with people. Amen. Back to the, back to the, the spoken with a man who doesn't have an account in, either, in any of those areas, right? Um, guys, like, back to the statistics I showed. Wait, I mean, wait a second. Facebook, whoever that dude is that owns Facebook, like he's one of the richest men in the world because Facebook is so big, which means that a whole bunch of people are on it and loneliness is at an all-time high. Do the math. Why? Because it not only isn't helping, it's actually hurting relationship. We think that because we get a certain number of likes or we have a certain number of friends or followers or whatever, that we're somehow influencers. Guys, we're not influencing anybody on social media. It just isn't. You're not winning arguments on social media. Why? Because once arguing talks around the heart. Right? Arguing is all about putting up walls around your heart so I can come up with my defense. And, and frankly, that's the kind of dialoguing that's going on on social media. Outside of, here's what I had for dinner tonight, which I've never really understood why people post that. But that's, that's neither here nor there. So what else? So, but, so physically, get out of your space. So where are some places that we can get out of our space, guys? Also make room in your schedule. Oh, good. Good. So make room in your schedule and be ready for people to be needy. That's what Debbie just said. So, so let's combine those, guys. Let's talk, like, we're talking out, we're, we're trying to come up with ideas together so we can leave here today and be his witnesses, like the sign says as you walk under it every week. So what, take those, get out of our space. So where are some places we can get out of our space? And how do we practically build like, encounters into our schedule, into our time? So, so what do we do? Okay, so one, if you, even if it's not built into your, but um, just yield to what God, that's hard. 
We're going to see in a minute the parable that he actually teaches about the Good Samaritan. That's a hard thing for us to do, but, but you're not wrong. You're, ex- you're exactly right. What if we built some of that time into our schedule? What if I said, okay, rather than I, I know it's going to take me 30 minutes to go shopping, I, give my, I know it's going to take me 30 minutes to go shopping, but I'm going to give myself 45 so I have a, a little built-in buffer zone. Good. Um, Mo. Okay, engage in conversation with others when you're out. But guys, where are we going? Go to coffee, shop. coffee shop. What else? Post office. Post office. Right, grocery stores. Here's, here's what I would, here's the nuance. I would, so the, the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples. It actually means, in the Greek, it means as you're going along. It doesn't mean go like Taylor and Farron are in Mexico right now getting trained. That's, that's one way go means. But really what he's saying is, is as you're living your life, be about the business of making disciples. So as you're at the grocery store, as you're at the post office, as you're... But guys, one of the things we could do a better job of is frequent the same places. Right? Like, it, like make a point of engaging with the same checkout person when you go to the same store. You ever heard the phrase third place? So what people, third place, like, so most people have lives that live that are like this. They, they, have, um, they have their home, they have their place of work, and then they have some kind, now that's pretty much all they have, if they're, because that's why they're so lonely, and then they want to, they have a third place. For, for us, our third place is this, and I understand that. But for the unbelieving world, this is not a, th- a safe third place for them. The safe third places are coffee shops, and post offices and stores, swim meets, join a, join a club, like, you know, some kind of hobby, right? So that you have opportunity to engage with people. That's the third place that's safe for them and for us to engage with them. See what else, if I have anything else uh, written down. Um, so, a couple of great examples. Um, Sean, I, I'm guessing at some point we'll share the story, so I won't take it away in one of our gospel moments, but Sean sent, sent out a text to the leadership team talking about, so his kids are in Taekwondo or Kung Fu or I don't know what it is, one of those, one of those things where you beat each other up with the love of Jesus. But, um, and, and, he, and because he's going in there with eyes to see, he's praying, Lord, give me a heart for these people. He's engaging with another father who's there watching his kids. That's, that's a way to, like, take something you're already doing and turn it to a mission focus. Jamie, where's Jamie? Jamie, where's Jamie? Jamie is a great example. She's been heavily involved in politics. She's, she, enjoy, like, she enjoys that world. So, hey, guess what? I'm going to run. I'm going to run for office. That's engaging in a worldly system for the sake of the gospel. That's a good thing. We need more of that. So, finding those third places is a great way to go. So, let's look at our second point. Sorry, and that was supposed to be my fast point. I apologize for that. Second point. So, let's look, so we're going to, so, back in Luke. So, we're, oh, sorry, I think I left you in um, 1 John. We'll come back there. But so, so, what does it take to get noticed? One, we have to, our, to, to get better at noticing. One, we have to realize that we're built for relationship. And we have to find ways to relate. The second thing is, is in the midst of those finding ways to relate, we have to pray for Eyes to see and a heart to hear. And that's our second point. So look at the parable that he tells. So on the heels of this lawyer saying, so who is my neighbor? Jesus replies. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. 
He says, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Guys, that's his way of saying, this is a Jew. A Jew would have been going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he's saying, a brother, a neighbor, a friend, one like you, was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, so this is a religious person, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, this would have been another religious, like, moralistic person, when he came to the place, he saw him and, said, and passed by on the other side. Guys, they're pretending not to notice. I, I, just, I don't even see you. I don't, I don't see you. I don't see that you're in pain. I don't see that you're hurting. I don't see... They're supposed to be... It, it's, it's us. We're, he's describing us. Right? We should read, and then he says, but a Samaritan, guys, that's Jesus' way of saying the enemy. Do you remember, like, when, he, when he's talking about um, going to Jerusalem from, from Galilee, and it says, and he went through Samaria? Jews didn't do that. You didn't, you didn't interact with Samaritans. Right? So he's showing them, hey, this person you think of as the enemy was on a journey, and he came, and he said, and he saw him, and he had compassion. Guys, who does that sound like? He saw him and had compassion. Jesus, Matthew 9. It was, it's been talked about multiple times. Seeing the people, he had compassion on them. This guy says, I saw him, and he had compassion. And that compassion, so he noticed the man, and then he's moved to do something about it. He actually interrupts his day, he's, to what Valerie said, he's open to what the, whole, the Lord would have him do, and it says, and so he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He got personally involved, right? His compassion moved him to action. Now look at verse 34. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. Guys, did he have time I, I don't know, but probably not. Right? Did, did this mess up his schedule? Probably. Was his plan to go and help this person and then take him to an inn and then pay for two days worth of care after that? That was not when he, when he left the house. That was not on his radar. And yet he does all those things. Why? Because the point Jesus is making in the parable is this man's heart was prepared to help. This man had eyes to see with compassion. Guys, I will tell you right now, my biggest failure as a father, so my daughters are 24-ish down to 19, my biggest failure as a father, especially in the early parts of my fathering, the first 10 or 15 years of being a dad, was the failure in my own heart to instill in their heart eyes to see the hurting and hearts for compassion. Guys, I instilled in them, without even knowing it, a moralistic, like, judgmentalism that, that they, they just saw from me. Oh, how can those people celebrate Halloween? Satan worshipers. Like, really, foolish things like that used to come out of my mouth. What? Now, here's the beautiful part. God's grace is sufficient to cover that. Right? And despite me and my poor parenting in that, despite me and my poor modeling and shepherding in that, my daughters have developed hearts of compassion for people. 
I remember one time in particular, Abby and I were out on a date. Super salad was still a thing back then, or still open back then. And we're out on a date, and, and, um, and so it was quite a while ago, obviously. But, and, and we're sitting there, and we're, tr- we're trying to have our meal, and this young lady who was very scantily dressed, so I'm trying not to really look over at their table, two, lady, two girls talking, using very colorful language. And this girl had, I don't know if you even remember this, Abby, but this girl had her blouse laced through these rings that were pierced down her back, right? And she's using pretty colorful language, and we're just, you know, we prayed for them for the meal. We, we walk out to the car, and of course, then they come walking out at the same time we do, and I'm like, just get in the car, just get in the car. You know, I'm like, you know, don't look at the heathen, don't look at the heathen. I, I didn't really say that, but, and, and my sweet daughter looks at me, and she says, hey, Dad, where do you think her dad is? And it was one of those moments where I'm like, man, even despite my bad modeling, her heart was still broken for this girl because all she saw was a girl that really, really needed Jesus. Like she, he, she needed a father, right? And we need that heart. So let's pray that God would give us that heart. So look at your last talking points question. And we're going to um, actually get to our last point and start to um, go into our time of response here in a minute. So it says this, how are you at really noticing people? What kinds of things get in the way of you noticing those around you? What are some things you can do to help you sharpen your noticing skills? So we've already, let's just, just to reiterate, like what are some things that we can practically do to sharpen our noticing skills? We've already talked about, let's re, say them again. What's one? Slow down. Make time. Slow down and make time. Pay attention. Pay attention. Get your eyes off of you and what you need to get done. Get your eyes off, like start looking around at a world that's going to hell. What else? What's that? The world does not circle around you. Good. It's about Jesus. Good. What, I heard somebody else say something over here. Listen, like ask him, Lord, show me here who you want me to engage with as you're walking into a store or you're at your kid's swim meet sweating in, in crazy heat and humidity or whatever it is. That's so good. Did you, hear what, did you hear what Tina said? She said like purposely like make a point of going out of your space and just for, the re- just for the sole purpose, it's the homework assignment from last week. Pray, God, give me your eyes to see. And then go to a place where there are people and just practice seeing them. And then, and then guys, but I'm just going to tell you right now, just, if you've never done, just start with pr- pr- just seeing them. Like, don't even, don't even put the pressure on yourself. I'm going to see them and then I'm going to engage. I mean, if the Holy Spirit leads you into that engage, go, then certainly engage. But just get your, get your feet wet by just going and going, Lord, just give me the eyes to see these people as broken. Guys, understand this. I said it last week. I'm going to keep saying it. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. And, guys, and get this. Everyone's story has pain. Everyone's. Everyone's story has pain. Guys, there is nobody out there in the world, not the richest man who's ever lived, Solomon, not even he lived life without pain. Right? So, so look for those opportunities. See people as 
image bearers of God that have a story and they're broken and they're hurting. And guys, we hold the only answer for hope. We, we're it. Like, we, like our answer, Jesus Christ and him crucified, is the only answer. And we're holding it over here like, oh, I'm not going to tell those people about that. Why? Because we don't really fully embrace what he's done for us. And that leads us to our last point. So we're going to go back to, or I'm not sure where I left you, but we're in Luke and we're going to finish. We're going to land this plane with our, with our last point. So how do we get better at noticing? We, are built, we see that we're built for relationship. We pray that the Lord would give us the eyes to see and the heart to help, that we would step into this gospel story. Right, so look at, what he, look at how he finishes up. So he tells this story. The, the guy, I don't know if he's convicted or not, but he says, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Grace, guys, get this. The grace of God goes beyond what we expect. If all this dude had done was helped him, taking him somewhere where he could get help and left, that would have been way more than anybody else did. Way more, frankly, than I would do. But he goes beyond that. Why? Why does Jesus add that little tidbit into the story? Because he wants to show us grace always goes beyond. Right? Like, grace always goes deeper. Now look at what he says in verse 36. So he asked the, he asked the lawyer, so which of these things, which of these men do you think proved, like showed themselves to have God's heart? Which of these men proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said, well, well, I'm guessing it's the one who showed him mercy. And then look at what Jesus says. Go, Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. He doesn't say go and believe what I just told you. He says go and do. Guys, remember back in verse 28? When the guy gives him the answer, love God, love people? He says, you answered correctly. Do this. Love God and love people. Do that, and you will receive eternal life. And now he's here, and he's going, do you, yeah, yeah, it's the guy that showed mercy. You go and do likewise. Don't just believe it. Do it. So look at 1 John. I told you we're going to be back in 1 John. We're going to finish it up, looking at a couple of quick verses in Scripture to just drive this final point home. So look at 1 John, but this time we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 4. He says, Whoever says, I know him, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So he's saying, guys, if, if you're just saying that you believe in me, but you're not actually doing what I want you to do, you, you're a liar. If you're, if you're saying I'm a Christian, but you're not walking, because look at what he says. So here's how we know. We're Christians. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Yeah, that's a heavy call. It is. By the grace of God, we can do it. And only by the grace of God, we can do it. Guys, do you remember... At the beginning, and for the first point, I had look at 1 John 4 again. Look at verses 20 and 21. 
So he says, so just like he says, if anybody loves God but doesn't do what Christ did, you're a liar. He says in verse 20 of chapter 4, he says, if anyone says he loves God but hates his brother, he's a liar too. Now, what precedes verse 20? What does verse 19 say? We love because he loved us. Right? Do you see the why behind the what? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to share the love of God with a, pe- with a group with people that are rejecting God and going to hell. But, th- but we can't just go, okay, I better get better at that. What we, gotta con- what we have to constantly come back to, guys, is what is my motivation? My motivation is because Christ loved me. I love others because Christ loved me. That's the answer. Guys, last place. So turn to the, right, the left of where we are. Go to Romans. Because we're in a Rome. We're taking a little break for the summer, but we're going to be back in Romans. I want you to remember the theology of Romans 5. I want you to remember like, what, what Paul is telling us. So Romans is to the left of where we are. Just find it there and you'll be okay. In Romans 5, look at verse 8. This is the theology, right? This, like, we love because God loved us. Paul says it this way. God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the why. That's our motivation. But guys, look at verses 6 and 7. And see if you don't see the parable of the Good Samaritan in this. For while we were still weak, I'm in verse 6 of chapter 5, while we were still weak, that's morally weak, broken, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So while we were still rejecting him, while we were still following the world's ways, while we were still doing things that we now, as seasoned as Christians, look at the world and go, ah, how could they? That Doug is the Doug Christ died for. He said, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us that while we were still, when Doug was still lost in his sin, shaking his fist at God as an atheist, Christ died for me. That is our motivation. That's the message we need to get out there and share with the world. Guys, we have to under, get this, and we're going to close with this, and we're gonna, I'm going to a time of communion so the music team can come up, and we're going to have communion as couples today, I think. Um, and so that means there'll be, the tables will be around the room. You'll just go to one of the couples, and, um, and they will serve communion to you, and then we'll close with a couple of songs. But guys, understand, understand this. The not-yet-Christian is not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy. Guys, if if you get nothing else, if you fell asleep during this time, wake up now and write that down. It's in the book, actually, the Godspace book. The not yet Christian, they're not the enemy. The people you're seeing on television right now, our president, the speaker of the house, the president of the senate, these people are not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy. There are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world that is controlled by Satan, and there's the kingdom of God that is ruled and reigned upon by Jesus Christ. And until you're in his kingdom, you are only in the other. And so for us, we are, 
Our whole existence here is to be kingdom people, his kingdom, to live by his kingdom power for his kingdom glory. And the way that looks is by being used by the Holy Spirit to pull people out of the pit of hell and see them transferred into the kingdom of God. Peter said it this way. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness of this worldly kingdom and into the marvelous light of his glorious kingdom. Guys, that's the mission we're on. That's what we're supposed to be about. Let's pray.